Welcome to All People's Church. Today, Pastor Denise continues her teaching concerning spiritual warfare, armor of God. Listen as she explains the powerful benefit of the helmet of salvation now in part six. I'll start by reading our scriptures from chapter six of Ephesians, just one verse, which is verse 17. Ephesians six seventeen says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so next week we will learn about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And today we're talking about the helmet of salvation. But before we begin talking about the helmet of salvation, I want to just jump back real quick and do a very quick review of the armor of God and things we've talked about to this point. We talked about the Romans belt, loin belt that was wrapped around their waist and how it was the most important part or important piece of armor because all the other pieces of armor were connected to it. Their shield attached to their loin belt and their sword hung on their loin belt and their lance which they carried rested on their loin belt. The Roman soldier's belt equals our belt of truth because our spiritual belt is the belt of truth buckled around our waist and it is representative of the written word of God and attached to this belt of truth around our waist spiritually are all the other excuse me all the other pieces of armor that we have attached to this belt of truth is our shield of faith because faith comes by the word of God and Twyla would you read Romans 10:17, which reminds us of that point so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is built up and increased when we hear God's word. We hear God's word by reading it or literally hearing it if we have it audibly or hearing it spoken about in church services or things we listen to on the internet. I have the, um, the equation that I, I've heard, I'm certain it's not uh, unique to me, but N-O, no word equals N-O, no faith. So if we don't get into the word, our faith can't really grow like we would like it to. Our faith can grow by hearing teachings at church or on the website, but if we're in the word more consistently than only what we hear, then our faith can really grow and become stronger quicker. The breastplate of righteousness, we learned, is also attached to the Word of God because we cannot really know uh, that we're righteous in Christ without knowing God's Word. Remember, I've talked often about the book of 1 John, almost a little litmus test there. You can read and be assured of your righteousness in God, and you can read and sort of take stock of yourself that you are following God and doing the things that come along with serving him and righteous, being righteous before him. And we need to know that we're righteous in Jesus, which we learn through God's word. We talked about shoes of peace. If God's word has preeminence in our lives, we're able to walk in peace. The supernatural peace of God helps us to plant our feet firmly, no matter what we're going through. 
How do we experience the peace of God? Again, knowing his word and standing on his word when things come our way, we can remind ourselves or go back and go, I know I read that scripture and we can find the scripture that will help us at that point to be continue in our faith and our trust in God. But as we begin to see, the one common point of the spiritual armor of God is being in his word. All of it is tied to God's word because God's word is the truth. Now, some of the weapons that are listed in the spiritual armor of God are offensive, and some of the weapons are defensive. The defensive weapons are the breastplate, the shield, and the helmet. The breastplate protects us from being swayed by the lies of the enemy, so we can use that breastplate of righteousness. We know we're righteous in Christ, so we can deflect any lies from the enemy trying to make us think that we are not righteous or we are not one of God's children. Thus, it's defensive. Also, the breastplate can be offensive because we can reflect the light of Jesus, God's Son, into the face of the enemies because we're standing behind his shield of righteousness in our lives. And no matter what comes our way, we know that God is for us and not against us. We use our shield of faith to quench the fiery darts, so it is defensive. I sort of see us sometimes when things come our way or lies want to penetrate our mind or doubts or beliefs. I get this picture of holding up that shield, you know, and just sort of warding it off. And that's really what we do in our thought life. We take our faith in, from the Word of God. We take our faith in God and our trust in Him, and we just sort of push it out there in front of those lies and say, no, I'm not going to dwell on that because I know that I am righteous in Christ. I know what God has done for me to this point, and I know what he will continue doing for me. We use our helmet of salvation to protect our thoughts, and we'll talk about that shortly. Now, our offensive weapons are the shoes of peace and our sword. With our shoes of peace, we can trample the enemy of doubt lies, unbelief, frustration, anything that comes our way, we can trample it because we're walking in the peace of God. Because again, we know what the scripture tells us about God and what he does for us. With the shoes of peace on, remember they had the long spikes and the soles built into the soles of the shoes. And so we can also plant our feet and stand our ground on the word of God. How is the sword of the spirit offensive? It is the Word of God, which we will talk about next week, and it helps us to, to stand and to know all the truth of God. Our loin belt of truth, which is the last one we'll, we'll review, which is God's written Word, is a neutral weapon because every other spiritual weapon we have rests upon God's Word, as we just talked about. So now we're going to move on and talk about our helmet of salvation. First, I will again talk about this particular piece that the Roman soldiers wore, which was their helmet. The helmet that the Roman soldiers wore were made of bronze. And these helmets fit on their head tightly, and they had also attached to the helmet. They had pieces of armor that were designed to protect their cheeks and their jaws. And so if you see pictures of Roman soldiers helmets you'll often see looks like metal or leather flaps thick leather flaps coming down on each side of their face 
Because they were made of bronze, they're very heavy, so the interior of the helmet had a lining of soft, spongy material so that they could easier wear it on their head. Nothing could pierce these heavy metal helmets that the Roman soldiers wore. In the New Testament times, the enemy soldiers carried battle axes with which they literally lopped off people's heads in battle. But the heavy helmets that the Romans wore protected them from having their head totally lopped off. It was a great piece of armor. Their helmets were also showy, even though they were very useful, because they had engravings and etchings practically all over the helmet. Sometimes they had farm scenes with animals depicted on their helmet. Sometimes they had etchings of fruit on their helmet. And this is really interesting, I thought. It was not uncommon for their helmets to be designed to look like a head of an animal, such as an elephant or a horse or some other such animal, a huge bronze helmet that looked like an animal head. I think that would be really interesting to see. The helmets had huge plumes of brightly colored feathers or horsehair sticking out of the top. And if they were wearing their parade helmets or a helmet for a public ceremony, those plumes that were sticking out could be very long, actually long enough to hang down their back. And so we believe that Paul was using these Roman soldiers' helmet as an example when he was encouraging us to put on our helmet of salvation. And so let's jump into our spiritual helmet of salvation and see the correlation. First of all, our helmet of salvation indicates and speaks of us protecting our mind. Remember, initially we learned that most of our spiritual warfare is in our mind and the thought processes that come our way because we're human. We just live in this world. And so we, we battle in our mind most of the time when we have a spiritual warfare going on. We're also constantly exposed to unchristian things in this world. If you think about it, advertisements, magazines, newspapers, billboards, sometimes just moving through your neighborhood, driving down the street, disgruntled drivers that aren't godly, just different things going on in our lives and bombarding us any day. There's any number of ways that we're exposed to unchristian things in our lives. So we must, we absolutely must have our minds protected against that onslaught of ungodliness and the enemy's attack in order for us to survive spiritually. Let's read Galatians 6, 8. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. We know that the Word of God was inspired by God, and we know we've learned that the Holy Spirit brings things to our remembrance that we learn from the Word of God in order to have our minds protected against the on, this onslaught of ungodliness and attack that we live in every day just, just by living in the world. We need to sow to our spirit. And one of the ways to do that is to know God's word. Second way, of course, is to be in prayer. So we need to spend time sowing to our spirit through those two steps, prayer and Bible reading. And so we talk about the helmet of salvation is my next point. Let's talk about that helmet and what salvation is. 
First Thessalonians 5, 8. Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet of hope of salvation. Thessalonians talks about the helmet of salvation, but the terminology here that's used is that the helmet is our hope of salvation. And also in Ephesians six seventeen, it can be interpreted the same way. Put on the helmet that is our hope of salvation. And so I want to quote Matthew Henry talking about this scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, and the hope of our salvation. Matthew Henry says, quote, A helmet secures the head. A good hope of salvation will purify the soul, comfort the soul, and keep us from being troubled and tormented by Satan, unquote. Our hope of salvation will help us to purify our soul, bring comfort to our soul, and keep us from being troubled in our spirit. The helmet of salvation or the helmet of hope of salvation will help us to stand against any doubts about our salvation. And we're all human and we all experience doubts about our salvation, especially, I believe, as young Christians, meaning soon after we get saved, we may often feel like, did that really happen? Am I really saved? Or, or the first time, or at times when we don't feel saved because we don't need to feel saved in order to know we're saved because our salvation rests on the fact that we have asked Jesus into our heart and it doesn't rest on our feelings. Now, Rick Renner in his book, Dressed to Kill, calls salvation, quote, the most gorgeous gift that God ever gave you. And it is the most gorgeous gift because it ensures eternal life for us and eternity spent in heaven and with God. When we're confident of our salvation and when we walk in the reality of all the things that this salvation means for us, then we are noticeable to others. Others notice that we're Christians as we go through life. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. Troubles come to us whether we're saved or not saved, but we're noticeable to other people when we walk through troubles in a much different way than those who don't know God. Often people who don't know God and are not serving God will actually contact you if they're going through something and they, they do know that someone should pray for them or they do feel like God will help them, but they come to Christians to pray with them and to encourage them even though they aren't serving God. So they do see us and we are noticeable in our salvation. It reminds me of the scripture in the New Testament where Jesus talks about when we light a lamp or when a man lights a lamp, we don't put it under a bushel basket or under a table or something to hide the light and we are like lit lamps. My next point is that salvation also means eternal life, our hope of eternal life. And so John chapter 3 talks about that eternal life. First we'll read John 3:16 and then we'll go back to the beginning of the chapter and read verses 3 through 6 in the same chapter. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 3-6. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, 
Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Nicodemus actually came to Jesus at nighttime to talk to him about salvation. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you have to be born again in order to be saved. Born again meaning give your life to Jesus, trust in his work on the cross to be saved and accept him as your savior and trust him for your eternal life. But when we do this, we have the hope of salvation, the helmet of the hope of salvation. Also, let's remember that because of the victory that Jesus won when he died on the cross and rose again, our enemy, or Satan, no longer has any hold on us. As we walk through life and remember that, then we can walk in the victory that has already been secured for us through salvation. Our helmet of salvation, it will help us to be active and help us to be doing what 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 and 5 teaches us. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So when we walk in salvation and we're sure of our salvation, we can be active and pulling down strongholds or pulling down those thoughts in our mind that are rising up against the knowledge of God. And I see the knowledge of God as his word and the fact that he knows us because we've given our life to him. We have to work. We're the ones to work to cast down arguments or imaginations was what the King James Version uses. Instead of casting, using the word arguments, King James says to cast down imaginations. So I did some research, of course, and this word imaginations in the King James Version of the Bible means reasoning such as is hostile to God. So we can cast down those reasonings that we sometimes might tend to go through that really don't come up to the Word of God. Rick Renner, the author of the book, says that even a good sound mind, though, must be submitted to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't have our minds submitted to the control of the Holy Spirit and through God's Word, then we can let reasoning, reasoning talk us out of doing things God's way. It was very easy to reason ourselves out of doing something the right way, especially when we really, really, really want to do it our way. There are two kinds of reasoning that I want to talk about for my next point. The first one will be logical reasoning, and the second one will be illogical reasoning. The first point, logical reasoning, it's necessary that we have a logical mind and logical thinking. That's how we live and survive in this world. But we need to also have our mind controlled by the Holy Spirit and submitted to the Holy Spirit and to God and know about God and the Holy Spirit. Because as I pointed out, we can rationalize why we would not do things God's way. 
We could rationalize away God's call on our lives even. Listen to the conversation between Jesus and Peter. Perhaps Peter was trying to rationalize away the call that God was giving him on his own life. I'm reading from John chapter 21, 15 through 22. This is a conversation between Jesus and Peter. This conversation happened after Jesus rose from the dead, after he died on the cross and rose from the dead. He had already appeared to the disciples a couple of times. In this chapter of John, it says this is the third time he's coming to his disciples. They were fishing, and they looked, and on shore, Jesus had built a fire, uh, told them to bring some of the fish they caught, and basically made breakfast for them early in the morning. So after he dined with them, there's an old hymn that says, Come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine, taken from the scripture. After Jesus and the disciples dined together, then Jesus began to talk. One of the people he particularly talked straight to was Peter, and this is what happened. Here's the story. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he, talking about Peter, said to him, Jesus, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he or what death Peter would glorify God. And when he, when Jesus had spoken this, he said to him, he said to Peter, follow me. And then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper. And he said to Jesus, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, turning around and seeing this disciple, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to Peter, if I will, that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So he was calling Peter to do something specific. Feed my lamb, tend my sheep, take care of my flock. I need you to work on earth while I'm in heaven. I'm going to help you, but I have a job for you to do. You follow me. Sounded to me a little bit like Peter may have been reasoning away that call a little bit, or at least wanting somebody else to have to be called to do what might have been a difficult job too by asking him about the other disciple. But what was Jesus' answer? Don't worry about other people. You do what I call you to do. We can also rationalize about the scriptures and rationalize away doing things God's way because it's really easy to think, does this scripture truly mean I'm healed? Does this scripture really mean I'm saved? 
Does what I just read really mean that I have to walk a narrow road if I'm following God? I just kind of want to be on the side of that road and I want it to be broad. Does the Bible really mean that I should try to live pure? Surely this can't hurt or that can't hurt. I'll just go ahead and do it and I'll be fine. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 because I see that Satan used the same tactic on Eve in the Garden of Eden to try to get her to reason away what God had told her to do. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So Satan helped Eve to rationalize what God really meant when he said, don't touch that fruit on that tree. And he did a pretty good job of it. And we could do a pretty good job of it ourselves and within ourselves sometimes. Because, again, we're human, and that, that's just what humans do sometimes. Okay, let's move to the second kind of logic that I wanted to talk about. That is irrational logic. Irrational, illogical thoughts can rule our minds sometimes, but we need to submit our minds to God and His Word in order to overcome that or keep that from happening initially in the first place in our lives. Okay, here are some examples of illogical thinking. Okay, here we go. A great fear of dying a great fear of dying young, a fear of rejection, a big fear of diseases taking over our body, and any kind of fear that can take hold on us because God doesn't give us that spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And now I'm talking about, when I'm talking about these deep fears, I mean something that just eats you up and that will drive you into depression, will drive you into not being able to think about anything else, will drive you away from living life. I'm not talking about the normal things that happen in our lives when we are faced with things, illnesses, or when we're faced even with rejections or shyness or different things in our lives. I'm just talking about something that we just cannot live through practically. Okay, Psalms 46 verses 1 through 3 says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake us with swelling. So it doesn't say that we don't have trouble. This scripture does not indicate that we won't ever have fears in our life and that we won't have things happen to us and that we will not walk through fear in our lives. 
but it indicates that God helps us in our trouble because he is our refuge and he is our strength. When it says, therefore, we will not fear, what I believe that this scripture is talking about is that we will lean on his promises in the midst of everything that comes our way. And we will trust him in the midst of everything that comes our way. Also, I want to read to you Isaiah 41, 13, and listen to what God says to us specifically. For I, the Lord, will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. And I would venture to say that each and every one of us who serve God have been at a time in our lives where we feel like the Lord was holding our hand, where he was basically holding us up and even maybe carrying us when we couldn't carry ourselves and saying to us, I will help you, I will help you. Don't let this overcome you because I will help you. So when Paul talks about casting down imaginations in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, which again, illogical fears, and casting down things that rise up against the knowledge of God, he indicates that casting down these thoughts is our job. How do we cast down thoughts that want to just cause us turmoil and want to just cause us to maybe want to go against what we need to be doing in our lives? Before we talk about how to do this, I need to, to give us a scripture that shows us how to do this. Romans 12, 2. How do we cast down imaginations and things in our lives that rise up against God, the knowledge of God? Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Rick Renner says that when your mind is renewed with the word of God concerning all the blessings contained in your salvation, then you think and talk like a saved man or woman. He also says that when a believer meditates on the word of God and begins to comprehend the multitude of blessings contained in his salvation, all he can think or talk about is what God can do. So the more that our mind is renewed, the more that we walk with God, learn about his word, the more our conversation, what we say, and our actions, what we do, will be about God. God is such a part of our lives that we can't really not involve him in our conversation. What we need to do to cast down these imaginations is to take care to guard our mind with the Word of God, wear our helmets by filling our mind with the Word of God. We put on the helmet of salvation by studying what the Bible says about our salvation. So fill our minds with the Word of God, study what the Bible says about salvation. Learn about Jesus' redemptive work for us. The next point about this would be to learn about his deliverance, his healing, how to persevere, and how to stand. So learn about Jesus' redemptive workforce and learn about how through this redemptive work he has delivered us. Learn about how he's given us healing. Learn about how to persevere in the middle of trials. Learn how to stand and plant our feet even though we live in a world and not in heaven yet. Once we do these things, then just begin working at believing the scripture and standing on the scripture. I think it's a matter of exercising our spiritual mind, exercising our spiritual strength, just by reminding ourselves of God's word when we go through things. 
and allow God's word to work in your thought life and your mind. That will become a natural outcome of being in God's word is that as we think on his word and learn his word, it will begin to work in our thought life and in our mind. And then our mind will be renewed just like Romans 12, 2, which I just read. So I'm going to read that scripture one more time and then break it down. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Some of these definitions may be a little bit long, but I can repeat them afterwards again if we need to. And you might recognize them from the text yesterday. How do we prove the will of God? To prove means to test, examine, scrutinize something to see if the thing is genuine or not. To recognize it as genuine after you examine it and to approve it or deem it worthy. Do not be conformed to the world. It means do not fashion our mind and character to the world's pattern and evil. But be transformed. Make a thorough or dramatic change in our minds by renewing, to make new spiritually, to regenerate. By renewing our mind, which is our particular mode of thinking and judging. In other words, our thoughts, our feelings, our purposes, and our desires. So with these definitions, I believe that we can say that we can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God by not fashioning our minds or character to the world's pattern and evil, but make a thorough or dramatic change in our lives by spiritually regenerating our way of thinking and judging. To do so, we need to be in God's Word. I think that J.B. Phillips says this very well when he says, and I quote, With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, and this is his take on Romans 12 too. Okay, let me begin again. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove and practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves toward the goal of true maturity. By daily being in God's word, our thinking will change to be more like God's. Then we'll begin to live it out and prove his plan for us is good. In conclusion, let's not be like the person Lyndon B. Johnson was talking about when he said, quote, He's a nice guy, but he played too much football with his helmet off, unquote. But let us remember what Ephesians 6, 17 says. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Meaning, don't go into the spiritual game and play without our helmet, but put on the helmet of salvation, gird up the loins of your mind, and play to win. Because by doing these things, you will win. This message has been brought to you by All People's Church of Arizona. We are a virtual church headquartered in Flagstaff, Arizona. If you have found this audio message to be useful and you would like to join us for our Sunday service, 
Please find the Zoom link on our website at apcofaz.org. Our service starts at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. If you would like to know more about eternal life through Jesus, continue to listen for more information. The basics of salvation or reconciliation with God the Father can be summarized in three statements. First, you must understand that we are all spiritually dead, that is, separated from God, and cannot be reconciled to Him on our own. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and have no means to atone for our sins. We have no remedy. Our good works, nor any other trait, no matter how admirable, are sufficient or acceptable. Salvation is a free gift to all people through the grace of God alone. This gift of salvation was foretold in Isaiah 53.6. It says concerning the Christ, the Anointed One, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Salvation is a free gift to all people. No works are accepted as payment. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 makes this exceedingly clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Second, you must believe in your heart that Jesus is the one sent by God. The Bible says in John 20, 31, But these are written, speaking of the signs that Jesus did during his earthly ministry, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The sacrifice of Jesus was God's plan for salvation for all humanity. God alone designed it, foretold it, and carried it out. Our only part in this plan is whether or not we will believe it and accept it. Third, confess with your mouth. In Romans 10, 9, and 10, it is written, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Essentially, this is very simple. It means you must pronounce your faith to God in prayer. There is no right prayer. Prayer is conversation, so say to God what is really in your heart. Many sample prayers include affirmative statements concerning the three points above, such as this one, which can be used as a guide. Father in heaven, I have sinned against you. I have hurt other people and I've hurt myself. I believe you sent Jesus to suffer and die for my sins. I accept your gift of salvation. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Please give me strength as I submit to Jesus as my Lord and help me to love and live as a follower of Jesus should. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. Finally, go to church on Sunday to strengthen your faith. Accepting Christ Jesus as your Savior is the first step, but the journey of faith is a long one. There is much to learn and you will need friends to help. We would love for you to attend All People's Church and become part of our fellowship. 
As noted above, it is easy as clicking on the Zoom link found at apcofaz.org. You can also contact me, Brother Jerry, by email at apcofarizona at protonmail.com concerning any questions you may have or to talk about faith in Jesus Christ. My prayers are with you, and I hope to hear from you this week.